0: hello and welcome to as a film student the podcast where it's always halloween and
1: always christmas
0: i'm your favorite christmas gremlin one
1: and i'm nick and how are we today
0: i'm feeling good you know living in melbourne it's great you know no more ISO. We're out of restrictions. We can see our friends again. We can go to the cinemas again. Um, I've been going to a park and I've bought several books about race so I can read it in front of white people and make them feel <laughs> bad. Um, and it feels amazing seeing like their looks with like their looks at me and I'm like yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk to you about race anymore. Sorry, leave me alone. <laughs> Um, so that's what I've kind of been doing during my spare time um, when I'm not working. But I actually just love, love, love making white people uncomfortable. What about you, Nick?
1: Yeah, as you said, in Melbourne, it's great. Isolation is fucking finished. My I had a brilliant weekend where my parents fucked off, and I was. Home alone, and I had a massive raging party, and you were there, and you were there, and you, dear listener, were there. That's a lie, it was just me and my dog watching Lord of the Rings, waiting for a plumber who still hasn't fucking turned up. So, other than that, we're recording on a very lovely day, aren't we, Mon?
0: Yes, we are. It's a beautiful day outside, the weather's great, we got some amazing news. Elliot Page came out as a trans man.
1: Yeah. That was some some fun information to wake up to.
0: I know. It was like I was I remember I was just taking a nap. I just woke up and I was checking my twitter.com because I just wanted to see what the news like what's up today in the world. And the first thing I saw on trending was Elliot Page and I was like, I wonder who Elliot Page is. I pressed in it and it was beautiful seeing them finally like be happy and finally come out and it's just so beautiful seeing somebody who is in the public eye come out as trans like it's such a great I don't know like it just makes me so happy
1: (laughs) yeah like the news coverage of Elliot Page coming out so far has been honestly so fucking great in terms of like correct pronoun usage and like Basically, no dead naming. Like, I woke up and I uh, checked my messages in the morning. First message was like, deadname page is trance? And I went, huh? So I Googled them. And Google was like, um, did you mean Elliot? And I'm like, fuck.
0: like wow. oh I got, okay.
1: did you mean? Google, you're fucking on top of it. Okay. That's, that's honestly.
0: Google.com. You really be out here respect
1: like it, it's kind of nice to have gotten to the point where trans people are becoming increasingly comfortable to come out and love themselves if they're famous you know
0: that's that's nice i feel like there's more acceptance nowadays and it's really beautiful to see that and i just was just i don't know like i was kind of overwhelmed with emotion seeing how he was treated amazingly by the media and i saw so much positivity on twitter just congratulating him and respecting him and it was just so nice and beautiful i don't know like i think for you as a trans man like what do you actually think of this like seeing somebody who is like a high profile like a high profile person come out as a trans man
1: this is like the first household name trans man that i can think of especially because a lot of media attention and a lot of attention really just goes towards trans women and for better and worse because of the uh trans people who have been murdered in the past year 98 percent have been trans women
0: and more specifically it's black and latino
1: especially like there is a world a fucking world of difference between People like Elliot Page, Sam Smith, and Caitlyn Jenner versus people like Laverne Cox, who is a trans woman of colour. You might know her from Orange is the New Black, who was actually very recently the victim of a transphobic attack.
0: Let's kind of get back to the film that we're going to be talking about today.
1: So today we are talking about A Nightmare Before Christmas, a Tim Burton film not directed by Tim Burton, inspired by Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, The Night Before Christmas, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. What a combo.
0: What a fucking combo. Okay, Nick, letterbox thoughts about the film in ten words, go.
1: Hang on, let me count out. Why is Jack Skellington hot? He has no fucking flesh
0: he is the goth king and for and for that reason alone i am uh i'd say that my boner is quite hard for him i'm just saying but (laughs) jack skeleton owns all of my 360 bones how many bones are in the human body
1: 362 260?
0: 162. I don't know. I know, know me- that
1: babies have more bones. I babies know, have so- too many fucking bones because they haven't fused together.
0: Anyways, besides the point. <laughs> going back 206 to 206 bones. 206 bones. I wasn't even close. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> Anyways, um Going back to Bone Daddy himself... Um, Do you think
1: he has 207 bones?
0: I think he has 207 bones if you count that long six-inch bone in his pants. Honestly, I don't think Tim Burton ever thought that like, a girl from Melbourne Australia would be thirsting this much over a cartoon skeleton. And not just a cartoon skeleton, but a stop-motion skeleton too.
1: A stop-motion cartoon skeleton that he designed when he was working as an animator for Disney. Mm. Yeah, I believe he was working on The Fox and the Hound, as the story goes, when he came up with the poem and the concept art that would lay the foundation for this film, which is actually why it's a Disney film, because he did this on company time and with company tools. So... Mm. When mm. Tim Burton was like, hey, does anyone want to make this movie? Disney's like, uh, motherfucker, that's our movie.
0: Bitch ass, that is our movie, all right? We are not letting anybody take it. And if you say so, Mickey Mouse will eat all of your holes.
1: So did you also know that, you know how <laughs> every everyone who sees this film is like, oh my God, what's through the other doors? Well, Disney does actually want to make sequels based on that concept. What's through the other doors? Because you see St. Patrick's Day, you see Thanksgiving, you see... But Tim Burton himself has actually convinced Disney to like, no, please don't do that. Let's maintain the artistic integrity of the original. Mm. So it's going to be real fun when we actually do get a nightmare before Christmas too, because Disney does not fucking care for artistic integrity.
0: (laughs) He, He wants money and pussy, but mainly money. Who the who the hell would have made the Nightmare Before Christmas horny? Me.
1: I don't think um, well, other than you, it's I don't think Tim Burton would have made it this movie horny because he didn't actually make this movie. He laid oh, the egg, but okay. he didn't hatch it because Nightmare oh. Before Christmas is not directed by Tim Burton.
0: Oh, God, who, wait, who was it directed by? Henry Selick. Th- you <gasps> know
1: the guy who did Coraline oh and James God. and the Giant Peach? Yeah, it's known as Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas because it's very much his aesthetic, which was what uh, Selick's aims was. He said, it was my job to make it look like a Tim Burton film, which isn't too different from its own films. Tim Burton was only on set, Five times oh my in the God. entire process. his Tim Burton's name is only on the marquee for marketing purposes.
0: Of course, that is such a burden thing to do. At the
1: time, Tim Burton d- didn't go around to the set very often because he was filming Batman Returns and he was doing pre-production on Ed Wood. So he was busy mm. making other films. Okay, but it's uh it's still interesting how much of the aesthetic Henry Selick really achieved.
0: And it was a it was a really beautiful film as well. And like I feel like the art if you're gonna do something with stop motion, you need to have somebody helming it who really knows a lot about stop motion, and really knows the nuances of stop motion. Because I'm like a stop motion whore. I love stop motion animation. I adore it. And I watch so many like stop motion films. I've done stop motion myself. And it is honestly one of the hardest medium of art to really create because it takes so much time and effort and so much patience to really get that perfect shot and repeatedly do it again and again and again and again. And I have so much respect for stop motion artists and animators and so when I was watching this movie I was taking a lot of I'd say I was taking not only a lot of like influence and inspiration from it but I was just looking at the way they animated it It must have taken so long
1: yeah um did you know that there were 227 puppets created to represent characters in this movie and Jack himself had about 400 heads to do each and every expression.
0: Okay, that's actually really interesting. Like, imagine how long it would have taken not only to make and create these props and these puppets, but to also change them every single minute and between every single shot and how beautiful the end result is. And that's why like, I adore stop motion animation, not only because it's such an underappreciated craft, but it's also just a beautiful animation where it's like, I like the stuntedness of it. I like, the, I like how kind of jolty it can be. And I also just like how real it is as well. And I think this stop motion animation is just amazing.
1: So you put something that I found pretty like, huh? Oh, I guess so. In the in the dark, um, that is Tim Burton is a racist.
0: Yeah, he. Uh, I think one of his statements in, um, I think an article or something like that. He was saying something about the Brady Bunch, and how as a child he found it really annoying when there was a black and Asian American adopted kids, and he was like, really really like defiant about it. He was like, "No, I don't want this. This is this is horrible." And so it's kind of like correlated to his filmmaking as well because his filmmaking is very very white and there is no there is no people of color that that are in his films and if they are in his films they're depicted in very negative stereotypes as well and it's just really disgusting but at the same time like I love Tim Burton I love his style I love his filmmaking I love his storytelling because you want to love somebody for their work but it's hard to love their work when their work is explicitly against people like you. And every time you watch a Tim Burton, well, every time I watch a Tim Burton movie now, I always remember that this is so explicitly white. It is so, like, even the idea of goth in like, gothic is very white. It, you know, gothic kind of stems away, stems from, like, the Victorian ages and kind of, like, that kind of style of, like, architecture and clothing And in that area like i'm not gonna lie colonialism was super rife back then it was just trendy and so again like that kind of artistic style is basically situated in all of his films and you can make a case about how you know i'm not gonna say like, i'm just i'm not saying that the, like the gothic trend is racist i'm just saying that the style that it takes influence from originally is very very problematic um and what tim burton said in his statement very very problematic and very disgusting and um he's a racist but it's hard it's it's so hard because his films are amazing and it's just it's so hard to like really separate that um and he's basically been like such a large icon in my life as a child as well and so when you're like an asian kid growing up and then you just realize now that he fucking hates asians it's like okay you definitely see in this film even if it wasn't directed by him um but you do see that kind of level of negative stereotyping and, and, and racism, which is not even subtle at all. It is explicit racism, especially in a kid's film.
1: Like, even when all of your characters kind of don't have a race because they're all just monsters, they still manage to be kind of racist, even in this one. It's like, you've got all these little monsters, and then you get to Oogie Boogie, and it's like, oh man, the one black voice actor, and you do this.
0: I... Okay, so the thing with Oogie Boogie is the fact that he is a crime lord boogeyman who runs the underground casino, surrounds himself with jazz and kind of dangerous things, and he speaks like a black man stereotype. And it's, in a way, the movie's contribution to the reinforcement of systemic racism, guys. Like, it's really interesting because it's supposed to be kind of a reference to, like, the New Orleans, like black criminals. And Jazz is very like, it's very black coded. And so it's just really disgusting seeing the way that he's 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 basically the antagonist in the film. And even the use of black speak, um, which is basically uh, a reference to black male criminality. And, you know, and that's kind of really contrasted with the way all the other characters speak, which is very like white. It's called white speak. So, like, kind of English or British accents or like American accents, very like normal and with apostrophes, you know? And I just don't like that use of just that black scent. And also, just, oh, how can we represent black culture that isn't just hip hop? Hmm. Oh, let me guess. Jazz? Ha ha ha.
1: I read somewhere that the. Uh, voice actor for Oogie Boogie was actually once asked, like, hey, how do you feel about your character uh, being very black-coded and also black-coded and the villain? And, like, apparently he didn't consider it offensive, but, you know, there's a lot to be said there about the potential status quo for people of color being, like, not to rock the boat or to, like, speak out about these things, especially back in those days. But just, like, the fucking Jack, the white, good trickster versus Oogie Boogie, like, the black... Bad trickster. It's
0: it's just really, really problematic, and I just hate how they got away with this.
1: Kind of this whole film's uh narrative revolves around there's a there's a confusion that comes with like the innate human or desire to like, you know, translate and share traditions and stuff like that. Like you come to our squad gathers, you bring out all your fucking great food, and uh Khan comes to our squad gathers and he brings Doritos.
0: Khan, love love you, but please don't cook. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> oh, l- just learn how to cook. Anyone can cook. We learned this last week.
0: We did. Anybody can cook. You know what, Khan? You can cook, but just season. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like back to... Back to sharing food, Um, Khan and his love for Doritos.
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's just that want to share culture. And I feel like that's more what this movie is kind of getting at as opposed to the boogeyman that is cultural appropriation discourse Mm. on Twitter, Mm. which, oh my God, how can you even think that you can have a good discussion about such a loaded topic that comes with a history of colonialism and privilege and just all of that in 280 characters. How, how are you going to do that, mate? Contrary to what Twitter wants you to believe, cultural appropriation, I find, is actually started off as a new. Nu- it can be a neutral term, you know? It's just... Perceived to be inherently negative. To explain this sort of multifaceted nature of the phenomenon, we've come up with like phrases that I'm sure actually do mean things. Like, we say cultural appreciation or cultural exchange. And I'm like, I cut out so much shit for my notes just because I went insane trying to figure out how we apply cultural appropriation in our discussions and how we actually see it play out in this movie. Mm, Because... It's, this movie is more of a simulacrum of the phenomenon. It's not a straight betrayal, because there's no dominant culture. There's no history of colonialization or cultural genocide. Mm. I, we see it from Halloween Town's perspective, but it's safe to assume that neither Halloween nor Christmas has privilege over the other. In fact, we see it in the fucking discourse for this film. Is this film a Christmas movie? Is it a Halloween movie? Fuck you, it's both.
0: It's both and I feel like with cultural appropriation there like you said there is an underlying factor of colonialism, racism, um classism and just a sense of privilege that is inherent to cultural appropria- uh, to cultural appropriation. And I'm a person that actually knows a lot about cultural appropriation because I've spent my entire life kind of like having my culture be appropriated by white people and being and being fetishized for it as well and so when I was watching this movie I didn't actually think about culture appropriation which is the most interesting thing I that wasn't the theme that actually jumped up at me until I really thought about it and I realized I'm like hey like that kind of transmission between cultures is akin to culture appropriation but it just doesn't have the same complexities um of racism and colonialism and it doesn't recognize that because they don't have to recognize that. They've created a world that is absent from these things and it's this kind of like utopia of like no racism, no colonialism, no history of any genocide or any of that. We're just going to like trade cultures and just have fun, guys.
1: But anyway, it's all those it's all these complexities. It's all these sort of aspects of it and the history behind it that you really see that Nightmare's portrayal of cultural appropriation is so inherently simplified and really can't be compared to our modern globalized world. Like in Nightmare, the, the borders between cultures have been completely untouched. Mm. Jack is the first one to intermingle with another holiday land it, so it's demonstrating a pure, innocent, and well-intentioned aspect of cultural hijacking because of his desire to expand his boundaries. However, in our world, particularly in Western countries, people of colour have to detend with dysphoria, prejudice, the ingrained idea that aspects of their culture are inferior, making the act of cultural appropriation by white people in these contexts completely different from the story in Nightmare.
0: percent. A hundred percent. Like, it's... It's it's that kind of utopia that I was talking about earlier, how they can choose to replicate and you know copy different cultures, like what you said hijacking cultures, and there is no repercussions of that. Culture is just really important to human history. It's become so it's and that's something that you you can also make a case with, you know, the nightmare before Christmas is that Christmas, the idea of Christmas is effeteized. The colors and the the, the the way, like, even the customs and traditions have been kind of replicated and transmitted. And even the way Jack Skellington kind of meshes both cultures together. Um, like, in one scene, like, he gives a gift to a kid. Instead of giving a really nice gift, he gives a shrunken head. It's kind of like that mix. It's like kind of cherry-picking an aspect of culture that you might like. And then just putting it in your own, but not worrying about the actual repercussions of that culture itself, you know? The
1: other the only reason people are really mad at jack is because he's overextending his boundaries and committing a clo- a colonialism basically and hijacking christmas when he's how, is this movie like is this movie encouraging isolationism
0: um is this movie encouraging colonialism because he does fucking he does actually kidnap Santa. yeah but Santa. everyone hates it
1: Everyone hates him for it, and he realises that Halloween Town is best for him. So the resolution is basically, stay in your own lane, but also, stay in your own country. Actually,
0: (laughs) maybe. I don't know. There's just so many complex themes in this film, which, like, are very paradoxical as well. Like, they say something, but then they also... Disagree with it. It's like a lot of mixed messaging that's going on.
1: Probably because it was based off like three very different bits of source material, and it's also a musical, and it also probably didn't intend to have all these themes. Wait, was it
0: also a musical? I actually didn't even know that.
1: No, it is a musical. It is a a, a musical.
0: Oh, really? No,
1: no, no. Not like a theater musical. It's a musical film.
0: Oh yeah, I, I thought it was like a theater musical. It is a musical theater. No. It is a musical film. I actually hate musicals.
1: <laughs> Why like, do you hate I, musicals?
0: I actually just don't like the idea of like people happily singing. Um, I just think it's <laughs> is stupid. it the happy bit. I just yeah, <laughs> I just don't like when people are happy. Um, I just never really got into musicals. Like I hated Les Mis. I couldn't even watch it. I hated like Hairspray. I've never seen all of Greece I've like i i I just dislike musicals the only musical I've ever watched fully is cats but we won't talk about that today
1: you've also seen Hamilton I have seen I know Hamilton
0: that. okay I have seen Hamilton and I really like Hamilton because it isn't happy um <laughs> so that was why i really liked it was that it wasn't happy i just don't like music like ha- musicals that are happy and i just don't like it when people sing because i just find it annoying and that's why i hate musicals but like with this film i didn't actually mind the music i actually loved it i Ooh. i i actually really loved the score
1: yeah the score is actually done by danny elfman really? who is also jack's singing voice you're, okay. You may remember Danny Elfman from such scores as The Simpsons Opening Theme, Avengers Age of Ultron, oh, wow. Edward Scissorhands, Charlie mm. and the Chocolate Factory, Beetlejuice, Corpse Ride, Mission Impossible, Flubber, Fifty Shades of Grey, and so many more. Oh my
0: god, he did Fifty Shades of Grey, and he also did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and The Simpsons. I'm just saying, he is multi multifaceted, multifaceted. multi-faceted.
1: And Danny Elfman was actually writing the score uh, for this film when he was still in a rock band called Oingo Boingo, which no bo- nobody in our audience is going to know because they are a boomer band.
0: They're a boomer. Um, <laughs> you know, there might be some boomers that actually might listen to our podcast. I doubt. highly maybe. doubt. But maybe. I mean, doesn't, doesn't your mum... Listen
1: to our podcast? No, God, no. Oh. I don't want my mum to listen to this. We were, we were thirsting over Mickey fucking Mouse earlier. I don't <laughs> want her to listen to this.
0: Bless. Okay.
1: But the, the thing about The Nightmare that I really like is that it's quite an effective musical. Mm, and it, it, it doesn't do that thing that a lot of Disney films do where the third act just completely drops the music.
0: Oh, yeah, they do do that. Mm.
1: Like, for example, like, The Lion King, Mm. but, like, the first half hour has, like, Circle of Life, can't wait to be king, be prepared, and then, you know, Hakuna Matata at, like, 45 minutes in, and then Can You Feel the Love at, like, 60 minutes in. So the last half hour, the last act is completely devoid of any or any musical numbers you just dropped it you dropped the ball you dropped the music and it's like i like this because it just it doesn't stop
0: that's yeah i i don't really know much about musicals anyway because i i literally stay away from that genre like it's the only genre that i just can't stand
1: i am going to make you watch at least one musical now
0: (laughs) i i i've actually never been to a theater musical as well like, I've been to one student production, but that's a student production. It doesn't count. I've never been to an actual musical. But there's just several things about The Nightmare Before Christmas. Not only is it the racism, but the culture appropriation. But something I really find fascinating, you know how earlier I was talking about the mixed messaging, right? I genuinely think with mixed messaging, they also do the same with the like, even with the way they depict women as well. Um, like, the best example is Sally, um who is basically like kind of like a sewn up um character, and she's owned by a uh, her designer um uh, which is Dr Fickelstein. who's basically like a reference to fucking dr frankenstein and so she basically has no control over her own life and she basically lives a very mundane existence but what she seeks is to be noticed and loved by jack Skellington. and this on paper doesn't really sound like the greatest thing ever you know well you're like well that's a bit sexist for you tim burton that's a bit sexist not i'm not gonna lie but what's very interesting is that not only like the thing is like she's a seamstress she cooks and she does all of this stuff but she does have agency over her own body and he he's 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 my he's my um supporting argument it's because like even though she is depicted submissively almost in a way like i'm saying submissively in uh, apostrophes she does all these things that are very considered feminine she cooks she cleans she sews um jack skellington the um the suit his little christmas santa suit And it's very like repressive stereotyping of woman. However, even though she does all these gender oriented tasks, she kind of also paradoxically breaks them at the same time. And the reason why is that she actually is very aggressive. She tries to poison Dr. Ficklestein several times. Well, tries to kill him and then poison him. And I'm like, okay, that's actually a powerful move, sis. She, She falls down and you know what she does? she sews up her body again she basically saves santa claus from oogie boogie and i'm just like queen this is queen shit like people say that oh she you know she her, her only goal is is to save and love uh, jack skellington she doesn't have agency of her own body sometimes women just want to do things for the person that they love And she will do whatever she can for him. And yes, that is annoying how like, oh, she does not have her own ambitions. Her own ambitions is to be with the man that she loves. And she just wants to be with him. And this is what I mean by mixed messaging. It's like, not only does she break gender stereotypes, but she also reinforces stereotypes of the woman, like needing the man to be happy. It's kind of the idea of the female heroine as well. Like, You'd say in, like, the Grimm's fairy tales, like, there's, like, this trend of female heroines who are kind of, like, on their own and very independent, like, Cinderella. But, however, they're actually more isolated and abandoned as well. And instead of being like that, like, she is very connected to, like, Medea or Dido or even, like, Desdemona. Like, that kind of tragic heroine of isolation and abandonment is really, like something that happens a lot in disney films especially with like the female heroine which is something i just noticed and it's kind of like this weird idea that when women work together only to the detriment of others they they do it like when women work together it's evil it's bad you know but when women are alone when the righteous woman is alone she must suffer alone and it's just something that i found really interesting as well i'm like yeah she does she does suffer because she is with dr Finkelstein and she does get fucking abused and shit and she's gets treated by, like like shit by him it's such paradoxical and weird mixed messaging of feminism which i feel like it's such an interesting like complex idea but she also just wants to do things for the man that she loves and the man like it's really weird because he he has ambitions like he wants to like do this he wants to do that and she's like i want him to love me i'ma sew him a suit she's the biggest simp i understand you know like sometimes we women are simps you know Um,
1: is it such a bad thing to have a woman character who can sim like it's not it's not a contradiction women can love too
0: i know it's weird and so like i don't mind that women can love like honestly i get it girl i get it sis like get get that bone (laughs) dick Get that boner, girl. Like, honestly, girl, you can do it. I believe in you. But again, it's like her only goal is to get him to love her, and his goal is to kind of find something, find a reason to live, explore himself, discover. So I can understand like the um the discourse behind it. And speaking of Jack Skeleton, something that I found really interesting. Is that he's kind of like he kind of embodies positive masculinity in a very interesting way, because um, not only does he like try to break the status quo, but he displays a lot of um, displays the ability for men to rule and to be a leader, but still have emotional needs, and that's really fascinating. because you see a lot of leaders who are very like stone cold, who are very authori- like very authoritarian. And they're very like you know strong willed and all this manly traits, but he's a very sensitive guy and he needs a, he's a very emotional person. He's he he embodies like this very sensitive part of like the male collective unconsciousness. And honestly, it's just very very beautiful to see that kind of sensitivity that is in a children's cartoon character. And I feel like that's something that men should like especially cartoon characters who are men should embody more is more of that sensitive more of that sensitivity. And that's what I really liked about the film. Like one of the things I really liked about it, and that's why Jack Skellington is like super hot. It's because he's a sensitive soul, like and he's hot.
1: He acts very paternal. You could say he's like a bone daddy.
0: I will, mm, guys, stop, <laughs> please. No, but I uh, seriously though, like he honestly is a really great character in of itself.
1: Oh yeah. One thing I uh noticed uh, um is that the trees that we see uh we see Valentine's, Easter, St. Patrick's, thank- Thanksgiving, Christmas, it's very American and it's very like white American. It's like surely there are other better holidays that you could have come up with outside of Valentine's or Honestly, Easter. Easter. I've just got bad vibes from me
0: Again, it's because American culture Is literally just a mesh of different cultures Oh my god, she's going on How a- dare you,
1: America does have a culture They have super size me They have very big cars And they have Nazis
0: They, uh, yeah
1: Checkmate Nazis That's
0: that's true, maybe I was wrong the entire time Anyways, but like They should have one for Invasion Day I want to see Jack Skellington go into that world Do you think he'll appropriate some of those things within his Halloween town? Hmm. We'll see. No, but the
1: thing is that watching as a non-American, you see how just homogenous Americanization has become and how dominant their culture has become over non-American majority white countries. The fact that we recognize what a thanksgiving turkey looks like despite the fact that our thanksgiving is invasion day i don't know why the fuck they would americans still did thanksgiving this year and it's like are you that dumb yeah that's their culture they're that dumb they kept doing thanksgiving when their country wouldn't be sorting out a fucking plague
0: that's actually i'm calling it out americans are just fucking dumb like i don't know what is going on with america right now like everything's gone to shit i feel kind of bad for them but i also don't and honestly to our american listeners are you guys okay like blink if blink if you need help seriously like just blink twice if you need help that's
1: that's the other subsect of american subculture is is that blink if you need help and they are blinking very
0: aggressively they're blinking aggressively i i didn't think they're Honestly, they're not even blinking. They're closing their eyes. They're just like they're, they're
1: sewing their eyes shut.
0: They're sewing <laughs> and they're their eyes just
1: shut. Going, help us! And then they're unsewing them just so like help I
0: us. Feel, honestly, Probably. to American listeners, you guys stay strong. But also, just marry
1: just... me, and I'll give you a fucking visa.
0: Exactly. Like just, 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 just hit hit Nick up. Like seriously, we'll give you a green card. Just, just anything to get you guys out of that fucking hellhole.
1: People from Washington State preferred.
0: Yeah, preferred Washington State, yeah, if anyone's from the Washington State. That's, like, state.
1: probably my favourite state of the five that Maybe. I know. Oh. have I, no I, clue why.
0: I think my favourite is, like, uh, New, Hampshire? New
1: Hampshire. Oh, that's one I don't know.
0: Yeah, New Hampshire.
1: They have too many.
0: They, they have, have too way many too many states. states. Why do
1: they have two Dakotas?
0: Yeah, they that's have too have...
1: many Dakotas.
0: Like, is it North Dakota and...
1: South Dakota.
0: It's like South Australia and like North Australia. The Northern
1: Territory. North
0: Australia! (sighs) Okay, guys, you can tell I did not do my geography class on my own country. Why do y'all expect (laughs) that I would know anything about America? Okay.
1: And uh, speaking of holidays, because it is December and I am Saint motherfucking Nicholas, our next movie is another unspecified Christmas movie. Ooh, so stay tuned for that. So if you want hella Christmas updates, hella Christmas Primo shit post, hella extra Christmas content, you can find us in basically every platform Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course the letterbox, all of the descriptions are in the links below. Or you could just email us. And I noticed that nobody did. Not even Khan. Okay. I don't even think he listened to this far.
0: I actually don't think he will, which means it gives us a nice place to really uh sh- give us a little shit talk. Um, can't, I'm just saying, but you have like really um, uh, nice, not nice, uh, not nice feet. Anyways.
1: <laughs> and until then, I've been Nick.
0: <laughs> and I've been your favorite little girl. Ringe gremlin
1: little thing. <laughs> <moving around> <laughs> yeah, you